0: Chapter Six: A History of California, the American Period, by Robert Glass Cleland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: James Ohio Patti, Fur Trader and Explorer. Between the time of Jedediah Smith's arrival in California on his first expedition and the massacre of his men on the Umpqua, another company of Americans were making their painful way overland to the Pacific. The story of this party, like the story of Smith and his companions, will always remain one of the stirring epics of California history and of Western adventure. On June twentieth, 1824, five men crossed the Missouri River some sixty miles above St. Louis on a trapping and trading expedition to the Rocky Mountains and the Spanish settlements of New Mexico. Ten pack animals carried their equipment which consisted for the most part of traps guns ammunition blankets knives and other articles adapted to the indian trade sylvester patty the leader of this small band was a typical product of the frontier born in kentucky in the thick of an indian war when his father was away from home serving under colonel benjamin logan against the shawnees he had lived to see the last indian attack upon a kentucky settlement only to seek a new home in 1812 on the Missouri border. Here, the Indian menace was then almost as great as it had been in Kentucky 25 years before. The next decade, however, saw the steady advance of civilization in the Missouri Territory, and when the death of Petit's wife occurred, the tragedy woke in him anew, a craving for travel and adventure in the unoccupied regions beyond the American frontier with sylvester patty on this expedition to the far west went a son who bore the unique name of james ohio the boy was then about twenty years of age exceptionally well educated for a young man of the western border skilled too in all the arts of the frontier and filled with the same deep wandering and adventurous spirit that his father and grandfather had known before him it is not anticipating too much here to say that within the next six years This young frontiersman found all that his restless nature craved of new scenes, excitement, and danger. One might also add that American literature has not yet produced a tale of adventure equal to his simple narrative of the stirring events of those six years. Checked at Council Bluffs in their plan to trap on the Upper Missouri, the Patti Company joined a larger expedition en route to New Mexico to engage in the Santa Fe trade. The combined party, numbering hundred and sixteen men, was placed under command of the El Pati, and after many stirring experiences and no little hardship, reached Santa Fe early in November. Almost immediately, they were called upon to take part in the pursuit of a marauding band of Indians who had laid waste to the outlying Mexican ranches and carried off a number of captives. In this campaign, James Ohio not only distinguished himself as an Indian fighter, but also had the good fortune to rescue the daughter of a former governor of the province from a shameful captivity he thus won the lasting friendship and gratitude of an influential family after this novel introduction to new mexico the career of the patis became a succession of exciting episodes hair-breadth escapes and distressing misfortunes together with a few other members of the expedition they first secured permission to trap on the gila river or the Gile, as the younger Patti persistently calls it in his narrative. At that time, the Gile was little known to Americans, though its lower reaches had long since been a familiar highway for the Spanish expeditions to California. Passing down the Rio del Norte, the little company of trappers turned westward at Socorro, and after a hundred miles of travel came to the copper mines of Santa Rita, which the Spaniards had opened in 1804. From this point, They continued their journey until they struck the upper waters of the gila the americans were now in almost virgin territory so far as trapping was concerned and succeeded in taking thirty beaver as a result of the first night's work trapping both along the gila and its important tributaries they obtained all the furs their pack animals could carry but when they turned back to the spanish settlements the indians robbed them of most of their horses thus compelling them to bury the furs and return as best they could on foot the company reached the santa rita mines in a half-starved condition but the younger patti after a hasty trip to santa fe for goods and horses turned back to the gila country for the buried furs arriving at the main cache he found that the indians had already rifled it so that only a few skins hidden in the smaller deposit were recovered thus says Pati, The whole fruit of our long toilsome and dangerous expedition was lost and all my golden hopes of prosperity and comfort vanished like a dream after a few months spent at santa rita during which he and his father successfully negotiated a treaty with the apache indians whose incursions had almost suspended the operation of the mines james ohio again felt an irresistible propensity to resume the employment of trapping and to see more of this fascinating, albeit dangerous, country through which his first expedition had carried him. In the meanwhile, Sylvester Patti had leased the Santa Rita mines, and, fearful of the dangers his son would necessarily have to face on the proposed expedition, sought to dissuade him from the undertaking. But the younger man had too much of the restless blood of the pioneer to accept his father's sound advice, and, finding a party of Frenchmen bound for the Colorado by way of the Gila, joined their company, and set out January 2, 1826, for the unknown region of the Southwest. The story of this expedition is another chapter of bloodshed, hardship, and ultimate misfortune. Before a month had passed, the company was almost annihilated by a treacherous attack of the Papago Indians. From the massacre, Patti escaped through his foresight and good sense. With the aid of some American trappers, whom he was fortunate enough to encounter, he returned to the scene of the disaster and took fearful toll of the murderers. The bodies of his former companions he found literally cut in pieces with fragments scattered in every direction. The new company, which had joined, trapped successfully down the Gila with a short expedition up the Salt or Beaver River until they came to the Colorado. Here they traded for a short time with the Yuma Indians, an athletic, well-proportioned people at the time of Pati's visit, and then began to ascend the Colorado, the first company of Americans to follow the lower courses of this great stream. Passing through the country of the Maricopa Indians, trapping profitably along the river itself and in the lakes formed by the overflow waters, the company reached the Mojave villages on March 6, 1826, some six or seven months before Jedediah Smith passed through the same villages on his first expedition to California. Pattie and his companions had several unfortunate skirmishes with the mojaves in one of which sixteen indians were killed two nights later when the whites were exhausted from lack of sleep the savages crept into camp and got some measure of revenge Pattie, in his terse account of the attack says at about eleven o'clock this night they poured upon us a shower of arrows by which they killed two men and wounded two more and what was more provoking fled so rapidly that we could not even give them around one of the slain was in bed with me my own hunting shirt had two arrows in it and my blanket was pinned fast to the ground by arrows there were sixteen arrows discharged into my bed we extinguished our fires and slept no more that night a few days later a much more horrible fate overtook part of the company three of the trappers had been sent up a tributary now called the bill williams fork which emptied into the colorado from the east to examine its fur possibilities when they did not return at the end of two days a searching party sent out to look for them at midday says Petit, we found their bodies cut in pieces and spitted before a great fire after the same fashion which is used in roasting beaver a short distance above the scene of this tragedy the party reached the lower end of the grand canyon of the colorado here they found the mountains coming down to the water's edge so precipitously that they were compelled to leave the stream itself and follow the course of the river for three hundred miles as best they could by keeping along the crest of the gorge for the beauty and wonder of the grand canyon Petit and his companions had neither eye nor feeling snow lay from a foot to eighteen inches deep on the ground over which they passed their clothing was inadequate to protect them from the cold their horses had no pasturage and became mere skeletons food was alarmingly scarce and the men grew faint with hunger and weariness at length however the exhausted party came to the end of the canyon where the river emerges from these horrid mountains which so cage it up as to deprive all human beings of the ability to descend to its banks and make use of its waters here the trappers once more set their traps and secured enough beaver meat to recruit their failing strength. From this point the expedition was continued with better success as far north as the Yellowstone and Platte rivers. Then the company turned south, down the Arkansas, crossed to the headwaters of the Rio Grande, and followed that stream to Santa Fe. Eight months were required to complete the expedition and even if patti had made no further explorations in the west this undertaking alone opening as it did a new route from new mexico to the eastern boundary of california and traversing the whole course of the grand canyon of the colorado besides much of the central rocky mountain region would have entitled him to rank among the first of western explorers but his career as a discoverer was still in its infancy Subsequent travels were to carry him far beyond the limits he had previously reached and through even greater vicissitudes. Misfortune, as usual, deprived of the profits of the expedition just described. The company, which had confined itself for the most part to virgin territory, had been unusually successful in its trapping operations. Even the extreme hardships and frequent Indian attacks had not forced the men to cash or abandon the furs secured. So, when the party reached Santa Fe, it carried with it a very considerable fortune in beaver scans. But from a financial standpoint, all the months of toil, privation, and dangers went for nothing. On the ground that the Americans had exceeded their trapping license, the Mexican governor confiscated the entire catch of furs and enriched his own pocket with the proceeds. The younger Patti, indignant as he was at such treatment, appears to have wasted but little time in vain regret after a hasty visit to his father at the mines he started out upon another trading venture this time into old mexico passing through sonora trading in the cities and little villages to which he came Pati reached the port of guaymas on the gulf of california he then turned eastward to chihuahua and came by way of casas grandes to el paso a few days later he reached the copper mines at santa rita Pati's account of the country through which he passed and of Mexican habits and customs is full of interest, but lack of space prevents an extended account of this portion of his travels. After his return to Santa Rita, the adventurous Pati remained a short time with his father. On a hunting trip in the vicinity of the mines, he had an unpleasant experience with a wounded grizzly. Pati was lying behind a large rock, not far from a precipice which he had failed to notice as the bear charged. Then things began to happen. I waited, he says, until the horrible animal was within six feet of me. I took true aim at her head. My gun flashed in the pan. She gave one growl and sprang at me with her mouth open. At two strides I leaped down the unperceived precipice. My jawbone was split upon a sharp rock on which my chin struck at the bottom. Here I lay senseless. When I regained recollection, I found my companion had bled me with the point of his butcher knife, and was sitting beside me with his hat full of water, bathing my head and face. My companion had cut a considerable orifice in my arm with his knife, which I deemed supererogation, for I judged that I had bled sufficiently at the chin. Despite this experience, however, the restless explorer found life at Santa Rita too stationary and unruffled to be any longer endured. So, with fifteen companions, he set out on another trapping expedition along the Puerco River. Here, a brush with the Mescaleros, a hostile band of Apaches, all but finished his wanderings forever. One of his company was killed, and he himself painfully wounded in the hip and breast by Indian arrows. To extract the arrowheads, it was necessary to resort to a rude bit of surgery, with one of the trappers acting in the capacity of surgeon. Some minutes were required to complete the operation, and of the wound in his hip, Petit wrote that the spike could not be entirely extracted, for being a flint, it had shivered against the bone. Shortly after the return of the party to Santa Rita, a twofold disaster overtook the Petisse. One of their highly trusted employees had absconded with $30,000, leaving the Americans almost bankrupt. And before they had recovered from this blow, a decree of the Mexican government closed the mine at Santa Rita and forced them to fall back upon their beaver traps for a livelihood. It was this dual misfortune which was responsible for their eventual arrival in California. Securing a license from the governor of New Mexico to trap in Chihuahua and Sonora, the Tupatis, with about 30 American companions, left Santa Fe, September 23, 1827, for the Gila River. After trapping down this stream as far as the Beaver or Salt River with indifferent success, the company decided to extend its operations to the Colorado. Friction and disagreement, however, were already threatening the success of the expedition, and in order to create a more compact organization, each man signed an agreement that any member who deserted or left the company should be shot. Minor cases of insubordination, for which a form of jury trial was provided, were punishable by a fine of $50, payable in beaver skins. In spite of these precautions, however, dissension developed to such an extent that the company shortly divided into two parts. One of these, consisting of the pattees and six others, continued down the Gila until they came to the Colorado their first night's encampment on this river brought disaster the yuma indians aided by the inky blackness of the heavy storm drove off all the trappers horses and left them in a desperate situation finding pursuit of the thieves a mere waste of time the americans destroyed the yuma village and set about building enough canoes from the cottonwood trees which grew in large numbers along the river bottom to transport themselves and their furs as far as the mexican settlements which they were led to believe existed near the mouth of the colorado the voyage down the river from the yuma villages for a time was delightfully free from hardship and the whims of misfortune day after day the little band floated along the circuitous channel of the lower colorado setting their traps nightly and sometimes taking as many as sixty beaver between sunset and sunrise so successful were these operations that the trappers soon found it necessary to build additional canoes to take care of their growing supply of furs. The Indians with whom they came into contact were simple hearted, friendly beings who had never before seen an American or known the use of firearms. At length, as the journey continued, the river ran through a low, marshy country where the beaver skins were of poor quality and had almost no value. Here also the little company, only one of whom had ever before been within sight of salt water had its first experience with a gulf tide this sweeping up the river one night inundated the low-lying ground where the hunters had pitched their camp a few days later the voyagers found the tide too strong and the waters too rough for further travel downstream and so turned back up the river this was early in february when the colorado had already begun to rise and by the 10th of the month, further progress against the current became impossible. Since they could now neither go up nor down the Colorado, the only way of escape for the trappers was to abandon the canoes, bury the furs, and strike overland for the Spanish settlements on the coast. The weary journey across the lower California desert began February 16, 1827. Each man carried his rifle, two blankets, and a considerable quantity of dried beaver meat. The loose, hot sand and lack of water soon reduced the company to very deplorable straits, a condition which, fortunately, was relieved by the discovery of an Indian village and a plentiful supply of fresh water. After leaving this hospitable spot, the sufferings of the Americans were again renewed. The most desperate expedients were resorted to to relieve the terrible desert thirst. Two of the company, with swollen tongues and ghastly shrunken eyes, lay down in the shade of a little bush to die the air seemed to sear and scorch the tissues of the lungs and the dazzling sand caused a temporary blindness not unlike that produced by the glare of northern snows a few hours more and none of the party should have survived but at this critical moment when sylvester Patti and an elderly companion had already been left to perish the remainder of the company reached the edge of a mountain and found a clear running stream of water Saved from death by this discovery, the company, with the help of Indian guides, came at length to the Dominican missions of Santa Catalina on the headwaters of the San Quentin River in Lower California. The authorities of this mission were suspicious of the Americans and accorded them but shabby hospitality. At length, word having been sent to the governor of Alta California of the presence of the Americans in the province, they were ordered to report under guard to San Diego here after having been relieved of their arms the trappers were brought before the governor the self-same echeandia with whom smith had had his dealings only a few months before doubtless the arrival of this second party of foreigners following so closely upon the heels of smith's two expeditions caused echeandia much genuine alarm for the safety of california he had also reason to fear a severe reprimand from his superiors in mexico Unless he employed harsh measures against the intruders. So, without much ado, the governor, making the absurd charge that the Americans were spies of old Spain, clapped the entire company into the miserable San Diego jail and proceeded to deal out to them the ill usage ordinarily accorded Mexican prisoners from that day to this. My prison, wrote the younger Pati, was a cell eight or ten feet square with walls and floor of stone a door with iron bars an inch square crossed over each other like the bars of window sashes grated on iron hinges as it opened to receive me. Over the external front of this prison was inscribed in capital letters Destinación de la Cativo. A soldier came and handed me in something to eat. It proved to be dried beans and corn cooked with rancid tallow. The contents were about a pint. I took it up and brought it within reach of my nostrils and set it down in unconquerable loathing when the soldier returned in the evening to bring me more i handed him my ration untasted and just as it was he asked me in a gruff tone why i had not eaten it i told him the smell of it was enough and that i could not eat it he threw the contents of the dish in my face muttering something which amounted to saying that it was good enough for such a brute as i was to this, I answered that if being a brute gave claims upon that dish, I thought he had best eat it himself. The monotony and confinement of prison life, augmented by ill usage and poor fare, chafed the spirits of even the hardiest of the American trappers. In the case of Sylvester Patty, whose health had already been undermined by the sufferings experienced on the desert, the additional hardships of captivity wasted away his strength and brought on a fatal illness. In this extremity, the younger Pati was denied access to his father, and the latter died alone and unattended in his prison cell. Following this tragedy, there was some relaxation in the prisoner's treatment, and James Ohio found occasional relief in serving as interpreter for Governor Echeon He also made the acquaintance of one of the California women a young lady, as he describes her, of beauty and charm, whose kindness and attention added something of a romance to his prison experience. From the captains of three or four American vessels then at anchor in the harbor, Petit also received much assistance. One of these was Captain Cunningham, who had aided Jedediah Smith a few months before. John Bradshaw of the ship Franklin was another willing friend of the prisoners, but, as luck would have it, Bradshaw himself was under a cloud with the California governor, and so was not able to secure Petit's release, as Cunningham had done for Smith. A chance for freedom appeared, however, when Etienne was prevailed upon to grant the Americans permission to return to the Colorado and secure the buried store of furs. But this hope was soon extinguished by the announcement that Petit would be held in San Diego to ensure the return of his companions. The rest of the trappers, however, set out upon the expedition. Upon reaching the Colorado, they found that an overflow of the river had ruined the buried furs, leaving only the traps to pay for the expense and pains of the undertaking. Two of the trappers, having had enough of California, left their companions at the Colorado and made their way back to New Mexico. The remainder, in accordance with their promise to Echandia, returned to San Diego, where they were once more imprisoned an unusual situation however soon afterwards brought about the release of the prisoners a severe epidemic of smallpox at that time was sweeping over the northern part of the province carrying off indians and mexicans alike as the disease spread farther and farther south and the californians found themselves unable to check its progress the governor appealed to Pati for assistance The latter had in his possession a small quantity of vaccine, which his father had brought from the Santa Rita copper mines, and this Petit agreed to give in return for the liberation of himself and his companions on a year's parole. Footnote: Petit's supply was, of course, augmented by virus from inoculated patients. In fulfillment of this agreement, and with the understanding that Petit should also receive a monetary reward for his services. The Americans were given their freedom, and Petit began the novel and rather stupendous task of vaccinating all the Mission Indians and the other inhabitants of the province. A thousand persons were treated at San Diego, nearly 4,000 at San Luis Rey, 600 at San Juan Capistrano, more than 900 at San Gabriel, 2,500 at the Pueblo of Los Angeles, and a larger or smaller number at each of the Mission's Pueblos and Presidios as far north as San Francisco. Altogether, Patti claims to have inoculated a total of 22,000 persons during his short career as an amateur surgeon. Surely, medical annals contain no other record quite so unique. And just as surely, never have there been so many arms swelling and itching in unison from San Diego to Sonoma as during this itinerary of James Ohio Patti, fur hunter and sometimes surgeon-extraordinary to His Excellency, the Governor of California. From San Francisco, Petit made a short visit to the Russian post at Bodega, where he received a $100 for medical services rendered to the colonists there. Upon his return to San Francisco, where he expected to be paid by the Franciscans for vaccinating the Indians of the various missions, Petit was offered a thousand head of cattle, together with the necessary land for pasturage, on condition that he accept the Catholic faith. This offer Patti indignantly refused and soon left San Francisco for Monterey. Here he came in contact with a number of Americans, most of whom were connected with ships in the harbor. After several months spent in coastwise voyages and sea otter hunting on one of these vessels, Patti returned to Monterey, where he found the country in the throes of one of its frequent revolutions the leader of the movement which was directed against governor etiandia was a man of some military ability named solis who had been banished to california from mexico a few years before because of his extreme cruelty the details of this insurrection are unimportant except to note that petit together with most of the americans and english residents about monterey became involved in it at first taking the side of the revolutionary party they later became alarmed at the attitude shown by Solis toward the foreigners and turned against him. This brought about his defeat, a proceeding in which a barrel of rum, generously dealt out to his supporters by the Americans, played fully as large a part as powder and balls. The share which Patti had in thus reducing the revolt at once placed him high in Governor Etienne Diaz's favor. But the offers which the latter made were not well received by Petit, who was resolved to lay his claims in person before the Mexican government. Accordingly, he embarked for the west coast of Mexico on the same vessel that carried the prisoners taken by Echandia in the Solis revolt. Most of the Americans who had come with him from New Mexico, however, remained as permanent residents of California. From San Blas, where the ship anchored, Petit went overland to Mexico City, Here, he presented his claims to Anthony Butler, then American Chargé d'Affaires, and also laid his case before President Bustamante. From the latter, Petit received sympathy, but nothing else. And after a brief stay in the Mexican capital, he continued his journey to Veracruz and thence came, by way of New Orleans, to his birthplace in Kentucky. This he reached the last of August, 1830, a man broken in spirits and in fortune after six years of incredible hardships and desperate adventures. The increase made by James Ohio Patti and his father to the knowledge of the Great Southwest cannot be overmagnified. Among other contributions, their explorations opened one of the chief overland routes to California and prepared the way for the development of the important St. Louis to Santa Fe to Los Angeles trade brave honest god-fearing vigorous in mind and body dependent on their own resources the patees belonged to that class of americans who conquered the wilderness and yearly pushed the frontier westward such is the tribute paid by reuben g thwaites one of the greatest of western historians to these two kentucky pioneers and in this judgment every californian will concur of james ohio patee's later history almost nothing is known except that he returned to california during the gold rush and set out for the mines what became of him after that no one can say as his life was filled with adventure so his death is shrouded in mystery it is fitting that this should be so End of chapter six